gather today on this Feast of Epiphany. As I already said, uh, some in the church celebrated on January 6th. We've moved it so that it would always be celebrated on a Sunday. In fact, next year, if I remember right, uh, looking at the calendar, uh, Epiphany uh, replaces the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, and the Baptism of the Lord is celebrated, moved to a Monday. That's how important this feast is. And at some points in the church's history, the, the Feast of the Epiphany not only marked the coming of the Magi, as we hear in today's Gospel passage, but also the Baptism of the Lord in the Jordan by John the Baptist, and the first public miracle of Jesus as he transformed water into wine. So in some uh, Eastern churches and Orthodox churches, uh, even yet, as they're all, the Orthodox churches are almost two weeks behind us because they follow the Julian calendar, but on the Feast of Epiphany in about two weeks, we'll hear of them uh, doing all sorts of things with water, my favorite of which is uh, basically a polar plunge, which, no, I, I'm sorry, but no, I'm, no, not going to happen. Not even because of the bronchitis I have, but just no. Cold showers, no. There, there's a reason God gave us water heaters. But as we gather, we, we've separated those out, uh, and we, we don't have a formal day of celebration of the first public miracle of the wedding at Cana. Uh, the next week, of course, as we gather, we end our Christmas season, as, as some nations do, uh, the Polish and a few others will continue through the Feast of the Presentation, but the Feast of the Baptism kind of ends the Christmas season liturgically for us in the uh, Roman Catholic Church. So we have to focus on the Magi. And the difficulty is there are so many different elements. This is such a, a different story, perhaps, and we've hear, heard the story well enough and, and enough times, perhaps, but there's so many little elements here that we could reflect on and if you remember back all the way to last year, I, I, I know myself well enough, I always preach it at least once, uh, maybe twice, but we, I went into detail about what gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, were and what they symbolized. And if you remember, gold, a symbol of kingship, frankincense, a symbol of priesthood as prayers are rising to heaven, the practical nature of it, it was a deodorizer, and myrrh, uh, uh, had connections to the funeral rites. It was an embalming fluid, not, not internal, but on an external level. Uh, it had an antiseptic property, but it had very practical use of diaper rash ointment and toothpaste. Uh, but they symbolized Jesus as priest, or first king as priest, and sacrifice. And some of our Epiphany hymns mention that, especially we three kings. But there's a little error in the, the very title of that. We don't know how many magi came, and they probably weren't kings, certainly not in the traditional sense. So who were the magi? I think that's the focus that the Lord wants us to take this day. This word magi only appears here and in the Acts of the Apostles. In the Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke uses it to describe a man who is a magi, and it's usually translated Simon the Magician. He was, he was someone who, uh, somewhat of a trickster, uh, somebody who uh, uh, we get the word simony from. He wanted to buy the grace of the Holy Spirit so that he could perform other magic tricks. But uh, the magi themselves were not just 
magicians in that kind of sleight of hand kind of sense that we might have for modern magi- magicians, or in the in the darker sense of magic of of witchcraft and all those kind of things, somebody who cast spells or whatever, the Magi were more likely uh, a noble class of basically students, lifelong students. One translation calls them philosophers. I think that's probably closer to what they were. They were people who studied tradition, people who studied prophecy, not only Jewish prophecy, but prophecies throughout the world and how they interacted and commingled. They were, uh, um, some call them astrologers, uh, and again, not in the modern sense of astrology that, that well, you know, if you're Aries or Virgo or all these things, whatever, all these astrological signs are that, that it makes you a certain way or whatever, but rather the things of Earth are written in the stars. And, what, and they must have had an element of that because they see something happening in the skies, something so unusual that they did something incredibly unusual. They left the comfort of their studies to travel from the east to go to Jerusalem. And a lot can be made, and, and certainly there is a lot to be made of what is the star, and you know, was it a conjunction of planets, or was it a, a, a comet, or was it this, or was it that? Whatever it was is almost irrelevant. We can talk about that later, but some of the theories. But what we do know is God made it happen, and the Magi saw it, and they recognized there's something here for us. We have to come and honor this newborn king. And so when they lose it, they do the natural thing that, they sh- that anyone should do who is truly wise. They stop and ask directions. And where would you find a king but in the palace? Except when they got there, they found King Herod. King Herod, yes, while we call him a king, this is Herod the Great, I should... Uh, back up. We, throughout scripture we hear four different Herods. It was a great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and son. Uh, Herod the Great is the one here. He dies about three years, four years after this episode. And then we have Herod the Tetrarch, the, the grandfather. He's the one who, of course, is uh, king during the reign of, or during the, the trial of Jesus. Shortly after that, he dies, and Herod Agrippa I comes into, into uh, rule. And he's the one who put St. James, the first of the apostles, to be beheaded, or martyred, I should say. He was beheaded to death. And then we have Herod Agrippa II, who's Agrippa I's grandson, her son, that he is at the end, and basically sends Paul to Rome. Herod the Great, though, was rather um, paranoid. In fact, he would be diagnosable as, as uh, paranoid schizophrenia, most likely. He uh, put to death some of his sons who he felt were threatening his kingdom. He, would, he killed his wife, and, and he married, uh, married others, and he was just not a good man. And he held the kingdom with a tight rule. 
mainly because he knew something that we might not know and might forget. Herod was not a Jew. He was from the area around modern-day Petra. At the time of scriptures, it was called Selah. Petra, that big building that you see in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, the facade of the, the church, it's a real place, run by Udomites. And they were wealthy. But Herod was mostly that and was assigned as king by Rome. He was a puppet king. And because of that, he was extremely, even not just because of his personality, but because he knew he was, had really no right to call himself king of the Jews or king of Jerusalem or king of Israel, whichever title you want. He just ruled with a heavy fist. And so when he hears of this newborn king, he's terrified. And of course, his courtiers, who are there only because King Herod is king, are terrified too. If he's going to be replaced, so are they. And where is a child to be born? And they ascertain, of course, Bethlehem. And he basically lies to them. Go and find him. And when you found him, come back to me. So that I too can do homage. As we heard in that first reading, we hear hear that all kings will come and honor this newborn king. And King Herod, being a king, even if he's not a a true Jew, he he should be honoring. And so the Magi could have easily, knowing scripture, probably could have easily just understood, well, he he wants to fulfill scripture. But they they go and they see the star and they are led. And they go in and they do something extremely unusual. Prostration is something that's only done before God. It's not done before kings. Unless you've done something really wrong and you're actually not prostrating but groveling before the king. They're not groveling, they're prostrating themselves. They're worshiping this newborn king, Jesus. It's an act of worship. How do they know? It's a pretty big leap from newborn king to God made man. And they make that leap. And they're the first of the Gentiles to come and honor Jesus Christ. The first, but thank God, certainly not the last. Being scholars, being people of means, uh, which, of course, is required to be scholars in the ancient world and even yet today, not making a statement on tuition being so high or anything like that. They are on the opposite end of the shepherds that we heard about at Christmas. But they remind us, rich and poor, it doesn't matter. All of us are come, called to come to worship. And they do something even more profound. They open up their treasuries. I I think so often I I get it in my head, and as I reflected on this gospel passage again this week, it dawned on me that it's almost a spontaneous act. It wasn't planned to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They open up their treasures, and what do we have? What can we offer? And what what do we have to offer? Well, we have a little gold. We have a little frankincense. We have a little myrrh. We, We know what these mean. We know what they're used for. 
whole. They're, they symbolize who we believe this child to be. We celebrate Epiphany not just because it's a fact that happened, not just because it's a nice, quaint story, not just because we want to extend the Christmas season, thank God, not just, but because it reminds us that we too are called like the wise men. Again, rich or poor, wise or unlearned, young, old, it doesn't matter. We are called to come to the house of the Lord, to find him, to find him, and to prostrate ourselves, to worship him. And when we do, we're going to find ourselves wanting to give something, wanting to give. It may be spontaneous. Whatever it is that we give, let it be everything we have. Let it be everything we are because it's all God's gift to us anyway. And the wonderful thing, and this is what uh, the wedding of Canaan reminds us, or the multiplication of the loaves, when we give the Lord anything, he takes it, he transforms it, and he gives it back better than it was. Superabundance. This epiphany, he's calling us to humble ourselves, to prostrate ourselves and worship. Well, not physically, perhaps, but at least spiritually, to offer the gift, to follow the example of the Magi, who had the courage to follow the star wherever it led.